the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now this is a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we're going to hear the final message in the series called Us and Them as Pastor Sean talks about how to share the good news with people. And here's the good news for you. It's not all on you. What if it took a community to help people come to Jesus? With that continued theme, there is no us and them, there's only us. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free, but if you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. The name of the message is called Not Alone. Pastor Sean is teaching from 1 Corinthians 3 and Luke chapter 10. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. Us and them. Us and them. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the divisions that we have in culture, and they're out there, and we despise them, but they're a part of just where we are, and just, they seem to be getting worse. But what really is bothersome is when we in the church kind of tap into those divisions, and we isolate ourselves because of the them, those people. Whoever they are, it's, it's us and them. And we began this whole conversation by learning when it comes to being broken by sin, there is no us and them, it's just us. Every single one of us, we're sinners in need of a Savior. And are saved by grace. Just like every single one of whoever you want to call them. There is no us in them. It's just us. That's a powerful idea. And Jesus modeled that by hanging out with people who the religious leaders thought, whoa, those are the them. And to stay pure, we have to stay isolated. And Jesus totally blew by those boundaries. And he hung out with people who had hungry hearts, who were lost and broken and steeped in sin. But he came to call them into the kingdom. And that's what he said. We learned that what you see when you look at people depends on where you look. What you see when you look at people depends on where you look. And we saw that every person is a masterpiece created by God for something beautiful. Every single person on the face of the planet is a masterpiece. And all of us are marred by sin. But when you, when you see a masterpiece that has been marred with the mud and the stain of sin, what do you focus on? Do you focus on the fact that, oh my gosh, that's a masterpiece? Or do you focus on, oh, there's mud all over that thing. It's lost. It's a hopeless case. That is a huge idea. Because what we find is we often have been trained to look first at the mud. And, and mud on a masterpiece is a problem. It's not to be taken lightly. But the reason it's not to be taken lightly is because it's a masterpiece. And so often we miss that point. Jesus led by calling people with hungry hearts and calling them to what God created them for. He didn't lead with their sinfulness. He led with who they were to be in Christ. And then he made a way possible for us to be forgiven of our sins and be set free. It's not that he never addressed sin. It's not that sin doesn't matter. Of course it matters. But the reason it matters is because of what we were created to be. And I think we in the church have sometimes gotten so focused, oh, we've got to deal with this first. And I think Jesus modeled something different. Modeled maybe the approach is we should call out the masterpiece. We should connect with that hunger in people first. And then bring them to the master 
to be restored and to be made clean and be made new. That's the model that Jesus showed us. We saw last week that following Jesus always leads to spending significant time with those people. Whoever your those people are. Maybe they're people of a different religion, a different lifestyle. You know, a, a different, they're offensive because of some particular view. Maybe they're from a different political party. I don't know. Whoever you want to call those people the wrong kind of people, Jesus just seemed to love those people and spend lots of time with them. And so if you're going to follow Jesus, it always leads to spending significant time with those people. Because that's who he loves. You know we were those people. To some people, we are those people. And Jesus loved us. And he called us. And he brought us in. And he wants us to be instruments of doing the exact same thing. And here's the deal. If you're following Jesus, you're going to end up spending time with, quote, those people. And if you're not, the question is, am I following Jesus? Or am I hoping Jesus will follow me in my alternate plan? See, here's the deal, folks. We live in a world in trouble. And us and them won't help. It'll never solve what's wrong with the world. Us and them, that division, totally puts us on the sideline. It will never help. And we live in a world in desperate need. You know, we look at all the problems in the world and say, God, somebody should do something. What's going on? What's going on with the kids? What's going on in our cities? What's going on in politics? What's going on? Well, if we choose to sit on the sidelines and say, well, it's us and them, it's their problem, we'll never be a part of the solution. When Jesus actually created us to be what, we, what he called salt and light, to be His hands extended, carrying the solution, the life of Jesus to a world around us. That's what we're called to. And I had a lady talk to me last week after service, and she really, she just had an urgency and said, I I so want to be able to influence people for Jesus, but but I just lack the boldness. I I, I just, I I don't know what to say. I I, I just, I get nervous. And you know, I I think we all can relate to that. We worry about, well, will they care? I don't want to be offensive, but, but what if I say the wrong thing? We, we, this, this fear that comes on us when it comes to actually just being able to influence people to become who God created them to be. And so I, I shared, I thanked her for sharing, I prayed with her, and I said, you know, I said, I think a whole lot of people have that exact same worry and concern. And I want to talk about that today. Because this mission is too important. The need is too great. And here's the deal, you want to look at the flip side. People who are not yet Christians have a totally different set of concerns or challenges when it comes to this idea of pursuing or or learning more of Jesus. It's like, imagine the person who who is sitting in the place going, "I, I don't want to be judged, I don't want to be preached at, I'm not looking to be converted, but I'm looking for something. I do have a hunger in my heart, and this Jesus seems interesting. People flocked to Jesus they were kind of repelled by the religious establishment of the day. But when it came to Jesus, they, they flocked to him. There are people with hungry hearts who are interested in Jesus. How do we remove this us and them thing? How do we connect us and them? If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 3. Because one principle that's really important when it comes to this question of, oh my gosh, I don't have the boldness. I'm afraid. What if I say the wrong thing? One thing I want to say right up front, and you just need to know this, it's not all up to you. It's not all up to you. Paul is addressing a problem in the church at Corinth, but he makes some points that are extremely relevant to this conversation. So let's take a look. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the faith, as infants in Christ. He's being a little bit hard with them. 
I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. He's not holding back here. He says, and here's, here's why. He's like, why? What's the problem? He gets to the problem. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the, or you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, no, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So that's what they were doing. They're aligning behind their leaders. They're grouping and kind of creating these little kind of mini denominations, if you will. No, no, we're of Paul. No, we're of Apollos. What then is Apollos, he says? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. That's all. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Key idea. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So he's dealing with the problem of pride, division, and disunity. Which I wish I could say it had died with the church at Corinth. But it didn't, did it? I mean, it's still alive and well today. I mean, we, whether it's be denominations or I follow this leader or this teaching or this group. We've got all these divisions. And it becomes our little camp. And it's like, we're right and we're going to die on this hill. We get to the place where it's even weird. We start this competition with other people who are honestly on the same team. They're followers of Jesus. I'm driving down 281 the other day, and I see this church. I see this big billboard. It was from a church talking about their Easter deal, and they're having an Easter kind of kids thing. And it's a big thing, 30,000 eggs. I had two thoughts immediately. The first was, "Eh, we got more. That was the first, honest confession. And then my second thought, which was instant, was, that is messed up. That is messed up. What is wrong with me? It's like, what are we doing? What, what are we doing? I worked at a place years ago when we were just starting the church. I mean, just very, at the infancy of the church. And uh, so I'm working part-time just to, um, to you know, pay the bills. And uh, actually, it was full-time. I was doing the church part-time. And I worked at this company that did sportswear where you would get, you know, sell to corporations who want to put their logo on hats, shirts, and other stuff like that. And I just was account, an account rep. Well, there was a guy I met there, and we became friends, and eventually I started to just share Christ with him. He knew I was pastor starting this church, so he asked questions, and we became friends. So I ended up just starting to share Christ with him, and finally got to the place, and we were just a little tiny group meeting in a, a gymnasium at the time. And so... Uh, I, but I said, hey, we got this little group. You're welcome to come. I'd love to have you come sometime. And he's like, oh, cool. This actually happened. One of my co- coworkers overheard the conversation from like the office or the cubicle across the way. And as soon as this guy left my, my little office thing, he, the other guy seemed to go, Psst, come here. Calls him over, and he invites him to his church instead because his church is a little more established and better and da-da-da-da. True story. This guy later on came and told me that. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and I'm like, we have got a problem. This, I, this, see that pride and disunity, even within the body of Christ, that is messed up. 
and is not of God. See, we are all servants of one God. Paul says, well, who is Paul? Who's Apollos? We're just the servants. One's sowing, one's watering. It's God who brings the increase. He's the one by the Holy Spirit who brings growth, who brings new life. I can't transform a human soul. I can bring someone to Jesus. I can put a little water on the seeds that have been sown. But he's the one who's got to bring the growth. The Spirit has to bring the growth. See, we simply play our different parts. And we'll be rewarded for our obedience. And this, should be, uh, this should be something of a relief. If there, you've got this thing, of, oh my gosh, what if I say the wrong thing? Oh no, and, and this, this whole burden on yourself. If you think you're going to go out and save someone, I have, if I don't save this person, they're going to go to hell. Get off the cross, man. Jesus already did that work. See, you've got a role to play. And by the way, our mission is life and death. We're not kidding. It is serious. But the good news is, what, what Paul is bringing up, there are, there are, we're part of this little community thing. There are three different influences that are alluded to here. If you think about Paul's perspective, what he says, and and this is you, there's you. You are a part of this. God will have people in your life that you will influence. You will maybe be the one to plant the seed. Maybe you're the one who waters the seed. But God's the one who's going to bring the increase. So there's you, but there's other believers. It's not just you. You're not alone. God has other people influencing someone's life, speaking into their life, loving them, helping to bring them along. There are others who are a part. But of course, there's you, there's others, but the bottom line is it's God. See, these three different influences, yes, we are supposed to influence people, and we are supposed to be a part of that. There will be other believers who are going to be a part of that. So, water but it's God who's going to bring the increase, God who's going to create the growth, God who's going to change people's lives. So it's not all on my shoulders, so just take a deep breath. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called Not Alone in the series Us and Them which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast Podcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now back to the message, Not Alone. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. See, he's put us as part of this community. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. Bringing people to Jesus is always done in community. And this is such an important idea. It's very important. I want you to understand it. Bringing people to Jesus is always done in community. And you, you, some of you out there saying, Sean, haven't you heard, don't use the words always or never? 
I have heard that, and I'm blowing it off right now. Because on this one, it is always done in community. No exceptions. You're like, wait a minute, come on. Let me explain. If I met a person who had never, ever, maybe they're on a deserted island and they had never talked to anybody, they never heard anything about Jesus, they had never had any person ever, ever talk to them about Jesus. And I met them and I had a chance to share with them and befriend them and tell them about Jesus. And they're like, oh my gosh, I knew it. And they're just, they, they just have this sense and they want to, follow Jesus. And they re- receive the word and they begin to follow Jesus. They're like, well, you were the only one. No, I wasn't because the Holy Spirit was there. God was there. God had invested in their heart. God had spoken by his spirit. And I'll show you that in scripture in just a little bit here. See, even if I'm the only person who ever talks to them, there's a community of me and the Holy Spirit working together to help someone come and discover life by following Jesus. It's never just me, and it's never just you. So that should be a little bit of a relief. Oh, okay, all I have to do is be obedient and play my part to help people experience the life that they were created for in Jesus. Bringing people to Jesus is always done in community. Now, John Burke, who wrote Unshockable, I've referenced it a couple weeks ago, great book, great book. He talks about the three-legged stool in regard to in regard to kind of how a community can help people find Christ okay he says just as a three-legged stool depends on each leg god restores his masterpiece in people when three elements work together he says one they are befriended by one christ follower demonstrating the attitude and actions of jesus okay that's you one christ follower befriends someone and just has the attitudes and actions of jesus in someone's life Second, they meet a network of Christians who include them in loving community and service. In other words, a group who come around them and just love them and include them in some of the stuff that's happening and even in some of the service and ministry opportunities. And three, he says, they have a come-as-you-are learning space, a space where they don't have to change, they don't yet have to be a believer, they don't have to act and pretend like they're a believer. They come as you are. This isn't about casual clothing. This is about people being able to come who have questions and are seeking and they want to know more about Jesus, but they're not there yet. And so they can just come as they are. Whatever form that is, they can come. So he says those three things. Well, we're going to propose that a four-legged stool is really what it takes, a four-legged stool. And I want to show you in Luke chapter 10, verse 1 through 9, look what Jesus did. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him. Two by two, very interesting, he sent them, and already a little community happening, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. I want you to know the first thing he asked them to do is pray. That's where it started. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of old. Pray for workers. Go, I'm sending you. So you're part of the answer. As lambs in the midst of wolves, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a son of peace is there, make note of that phrase. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But just make note, Jesus is is distinguishing between different people. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. 
heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Note what Jesus tells them to do. Heal the sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray that we would hear what you want to say. We love you, and we're so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to suggest four key steps, four legs to the stool, if you will, to helping people come and find Jesus. The first is this. Pray intentionally for those around you. See, this is where it starts. It starts with praying intentionally. A deliberate act saying, Lord, I want to be used by you to be part of the solution in this world. Your kingdom come. Your peace. Your love. Your grace poured out on people. I want to be part of that. So Lord, and here's your first prayer. When you're praying, you say, what do I pray? Open my eyes. Open my eyes. Let me see what's going on in people. Let me see beyond my own interests, my own stuff, my own list of things to do. Let me see, God, what you want me to see. Open my eyes. That's the first prayer. So Lord, just open my eyes. The second prayer is when God begins to show you something, begin to pray for that person that God puts on your heart. Because what will happen as you pray, Lord, open my eyes. I want to be used to influence people to help them find the life you created them for. He will begin, as you're praying, he'll begin to put someone on your heart. Maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's one of your neighbors, I don't know, whatever. You know, someone on the homeowners association board that you're with, that, you know, as you all terrorize the other residents, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? I don't know, but just somebody in your circle, and you're praying, Lord, open my eyes, and he does. All of a sudden, there's someone that he puts on your heart, and you begin to sense something there. And now you begin to pray for them. Lord, I just pray your blessing on them. I pray, Lord, that they would hear your voice. I pray that you would draw them to yourself, Jesus. I just ask that you would do your work in them. You just begin to pray for them. And one of the things to look for, and that's where that, remember what Jesus said? A son of peace. I think what he's referring to is a person who is seeking, who has a hungry heart, and who is open. Because nobody was Christians, right? There were no Christians. It's not, it's not like if you find a Christian home, stay there. No, there were none. They were going ahead of Jesus, and he was going to come and declare the message of the kingdom. But he hadn't been crucified yet. There are no Christians yet. They're first called Christians at Antioch later on, after the crucifixion, after the day of Pentecost and all that. So if a son of peace is there, I think what he's referring to is a person with an open heart, a hungry and receptive heart. And I, see th- I think that's what you're going to be looking for. As you're praying and as you're just going out, living your life, and connecting with people, you'll begin to sense there are people who have an open and a hungry heart. That's who you begin to pray for. That's who you begin to to just bring before the Lord. See, I think we should expect the work of the Spirit. That's the premise of prayer anyway. What what good is prayer if we don't expect the work of the Spirit? But look what John 16, beginning at verse 8, says. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. It says, when he comes, he He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Good thing. I don't have to be the primary one to convict the world. Not that I don't ever address sin when the the opportunity comes up, or not that I don't ever speak the truth regarding those things, but it's his job. And what's beautiful is what this means is every single person that we encounter, every person on earth has been convicted according to the word of God. Do you believe this is true? Every single person has been convicted by the Spirit concerning sin. They understand that there's things in their life that aren't right. Without me ever telling them, they know. 
Because the Spirit is really good at His job concerning righteousness. They understand that right living, rightness with God. Even if they don't understand it as such, they understand that there's something that there's right and wrong. There's righteousness and judgment. They understand that sin has a consequence and that there is this sense of judgment. Every person, because the Spirit is, is calling in His love and in His persistence and in His speaking of truth in the heart of a person before they ever come to Christ. Jesus said it. He'll convict the world. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Righteousness, because I go to the Father and you'll see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Look, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will lead you in this process. For he'll not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he'll declare to you the things that are to come. That's the power of prayer. You are not on your own. We should pray. Look what he says, even about this issue of what should I say? What do I say if someone asks or have a conversation? Now, here Jesus is specifically talking about persecution. You know, the disciples potentially and ultimately were dragged before authorities. But look what he says. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say. For what you're to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Don't sweat it. Just begin to pray. And as opportunities come up, as, as you begin to have those opportunities, which they will, share what God puts on your heart. He will speak through you. That's what the Word says. That's what the Word promises. See, bringing people to Jesus has always done a community, but that community begins first in prayer with His Spirit. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, Us and Them, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd appreciate your feedback. You can leave us a note on our Contact Us page. Or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262. As Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.